Welcome to the Voice Equals Power podcast, where we explore the big question, how does an artist find their voice? I'm your host, Nicholas Krolak. Today's episode is brought to you by me. I've put in a lot of hours over the past couple of months in order to get this podcast up and running on less than a shoestring budget. With that in mind, I offer this disclaimer. The audio quality of the show is less than ideal. However, despite the low fidelity sound, high fidelity conversation with innovators of the current jazz scene can be found here. So as my teacher once told me after I complained about a certain jazz legend's sound, you gotta listen past the tone, then you'll get to the ideas. So please bear with me on the sonic front. I'm working on it. In the meantime, if you or your organization would like to underwrite an episode, hit me up through my website, nicholaskrolak.com, or on Instagram at nicholas underscore Krolak. I promise you the first investment I make will be in some proper recording equipment. My guest today is critically acclaimed Grammy-nominated trumpeter, composer, and arranger Josh Lawrence. Heralded by Downbeat Magazine as the preeminent voice among young composers, he is a member of Orrin Evans' Captain Black Big Band, co-founder of the Fresh Cut Orchestra, and leader of his own group through several evolutions from his color theory band to triptych. As you will hear in our conversation, Josh and I go way back to when I first moved to Philadelphia, and he has been a constant source of inspiration to me ever since. This man is the real deal. Consummate professional, innovative artistic voice, and a super fun dude to hang out with. I had a great time catching up with him, learning about his processes, and hearing about what he's up to. Josh Lawrence, how is it going, man? Good. Good to be here. Good. Good to be in Germantown. Always good to be back in Philly. (laughs) Anytime I'll take it any way I can get. I hear you. Yeah. I thought a really good way to start would be for me to recount the story of how we met. Okay. I don't know if you remember it. I think I I do, but go ahead. I remember it very well, and um, I'll get to a question at the end of it. (laughs) But um, I was new to Philly, and I was playing a lot, backing this... R&B soul singer, and we had a show at the TLA. Yeah. It was a big, big show. Big, mm-hmm. It was very big for me at the time. It was like the biggest place I ever played. Most people. Okay. Yeah. It was like the hippest thing. And the trumpet player in the band couldn't make the gig. Mm-hmm. And he got you mm-hmm. to sub very last minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. Um, I'm pretty sure it, it was so last minute, like you weren't there for sound check. No. And you just you just got there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you never heard the music. I actually did check the out the track. Okay. Because right? if I remember that gig, I don't remember who called me for it, but they did send me like maybe a song. Like a so song. So I think I did probably listen just to make sure of whatever probably listen yeah. to it once but yeah at the time yeah. i don't know if you, if the if she had an album out she might have only had like one single right. out yeah but what i remember next is mm-hmm. you just crushing the game <laughs> just totally just destroying it <laughs> and i had never really experienced a musician of that level oh and then being in philly mm-hmm. new to philly just being like oh right like right. this 
this is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I got to I got to get get some stuff together, you know. <laughs> and my question that mm-hmm. I'm going to relate back to that is for you, what is like the mental space like mm-hmm. that allows you to go into an unknown situation like that and just deliver it? I think that's just the, the mental setup. I guess the, the main thing is just that I'm I'm always I always am prepared for that situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm always I'm always I practice every day, and part of my practice is just being able to just play whatever. So part of it is just I'll turn on WRTI or WBGO mm-hmm. and just start playing along with whatever's on there right yeah that's like part of the training to get into that space yeah but then also at that point i think it's like on a gig like that where it's it's kind of a showpiece where you kind of play a certain role and you kind of know what your role is like in a in in that situation if i remember that band like it being kind of r&b based and groove based and knowing that there was a solo and kind of knowing the type of crowd that you're going to play to I know what 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 devices are gonna work. I know like what the arc of the solo is gonna be. It's not gonna. I'm not gonna probably stretch as much as I would in my own music or in yeah. some other projects I play in. I think it's like about clearly kind of knowing what your role is and then put yourself into it 100. Mm-hmm. percent And then you putting yourself into it 100 percent and then just selling it like that. Um, that's how you kind of create that space like that. And playing a room like TLA is a perfect place to do it because you get all this reverb, you can kind of let your sound fill the room. I think it's just experience and just always being ready to have to be able to do that at any moment, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you have a like specific like pre-performance ritual that you do? Um, no, nope. not anymore. Playing the trumpet is always like, it's like any kind of physical exercise. So it's like I always wake up in a stretch. You know, so that's always the first thing. So that's maybe, if anything, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but at this point, I've just I've just done so many gigs that like you just walk into a situation and say, okay, this is what it is. Everything's cool. You don't really get nervous too much anymore mm-hmm. uh, at this point where I'm at. Um, so you just go in, you try to deliver as honestly as you can, and hopefully it resonates and it seemed like it did. It's funny, I knew that was the first band, but I didn't know that was the first gig. You know what I mean? I knew that's where I met you. I just couldn't mm-hmm. remember exactly what the specific gig was, because yeah, there were yeah, a yeah. few like that year. That's funny, that was the first one, though. I forgot all about that. Yeah, that, that year for me had had like a bunch of like moments of like interacting with musicians yeah. that were just on this... other other level that i was just like oh man i had like like just gotten back into philly yeah that's the other thing (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, and you were living in in new york at that point actually i was in poland for that year before Mm. that so there was like a three month period where i think i was living in new jersey before we got our apartment in philly Mm -hmm. um but i had been in new york probably five years before that and then we did a year in poland and then back to philly yeah so what was what was that you you said a year in poland Mm -hmm. what was that like uh cold Cold. very cold yeah Yeah. it was one of it was the worst winter in like a decade yeah and it was crazy snowed every day for like four months or something yeah. like that. It was wild. It was the most snow I've ever seen. Um, but other than that, it was great. Like, yeah. it was awesome. I was there with my now wife, Ola, and uh, she, we had moved over there because we had met when I was living in New York. 
and uh, we kind of made a, a deal to check out the scene in Poland for a year. Mm -hmm. So we decided to go over there. Her brother, um, Adam Baudick, is a great musician as well, violinist, uh, all over the place in Europe right now. He's on the ACT label, just put out a record on the same way day we did a couple weeks ago. So I did some gigs with him, like we got to play all over Poland, did a couple things in Germany. I met this uh, piano player who was originally from Harlem who lives in uh, Berlin, his name's Reggie Moore. He was there for, at the time that I met him, like 30 years, and he's still playing to this day. He's like eight, I think he's pushing 90 at this point. He, and uh, so I got to play with him. We did a couple concerts. We did one in Berlin. We did one at this festival in Poland. And then I did a, um, a tour with my trio for when our first record came out. And this was 2010, I mm -hmm. believe. And yeah, we did 10 cities in Poland with a trio. And Ola, at that point, she was doing booking for us and her brother and this other project. So we were just we were just basically on the road from a base of Poland, essentially, yeah. yeah. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I know a couple of musicians that have have gone to Europe and kind of never came back. Or if they do come back, they're, they're at, their mind and heart is like still there when mm -hmm. they're here. Poland's, Poland's kind of deep with it because yeah. like, jazz has such a cultural importance. Mm -hmm. It has a, yeah. has a really important place in their culture because it was basically it was like the jazz clubs were where people met for the solidarity movement movement mm -hmm. it was a lot of times it was like these jazz clubs and yeah. like jazz was kind of a music that with poland being other deep communism mm -hmm. like they kind of gravitated to that music as a symbol and yeah. like when mile when there's like people tell stories of like the first time miles came to warsaw you know yeah. and like when for, for for jazz artists to 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 get to poland at that time like the 70s and 80s or something like that like it was it was a big thing for them mm -hmm. so to this day when you're there like you turn on like fox 5 you know um the fox 5 of poland like prime time eight o'clock you might get a chick korea concert you know wow. you might get a documentary about james brown you know last time we were there they had this like sinatra special from the 60s with him and ella fitzgerald singing duet for like an hour like that's what's on tv <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like it's just a different kind of respect for that kind of music you came up in in philly mm -hmm. you went to u arts mm -hmm. and you came up in the i guess the tail end of of Ortlieb's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got here at that very end. Very. Of <laughs> so like the third owner. Of, yeah. Of yeah. Like yeah. It, it was different ownership, but Pete Sauters was still running the jam session oh, on right. Tuesdays. I remember, I remember that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So it was like, you know, a, a shadow of itself. Right. Yeah. But I've always heard so many stories about the old Ortlieb's, but what what would you say what was that experience like being like in that like who was mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. what was it like yeah well i was i think uh for the most part i ended up going on sundays mm -hmm. that was like my day to go because i most of the time I'd, I'd be working all weekend and uh, and i had school during the week as well so I would, I would play fridays and saturdays and on sundays i would be free and there was a trumpet player named roger Prito. great trumpet mm -hmm. player he ran the session every every sunday you know the house band was probably sid simmons mm -hmm. probably mike boone mm -hmm. probably byron landham mm -hmm. um 
or whoever you know like chris beck was in the scene at that time uh george burton was also in the scene uh so he was there quite a bit um that's where i met brent white Mm. like like Mm. that's where we really hit it off i mean he actually did was doing his master's degree program at the at uarts at the same time i was but i think i met him originally at word leaves at the jam session so proud so daoud was there as well used to always run into daoud there um i'm sure i'm not mentioning a bunch of people. Yeah, Tim, yeah. I used to run a Tim Warfield all all the time there. Jaleel Shaw used to be at the session a bit. What's crazy is I didn't know Orrin at all. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't. For some reason, I our past just never crossed. Yeah. I wasn't hanging out there on the right days. I just yeah, ne- yeah. and I didn't. I kind of knew about him, but not really. And yeah. I just I just wasn't really kind of aware. I don't know why I wasn't aware, but I just wasn't really. Yeah. And uh, it kind of took me some time to, to hook up with him later on, but at that time I didn't know him at all. When did you meet Orrin? So I met him when I moved back to Philly in 2010, 2011. Okay. And uh, at that, and the reason I met him was basically because of the Captain Black Big Band. Mm-hmm. Um, that band was kind of filled with people that I played with from Philly, people that I played with from New York, mm-hmm. and um, and I just hit him up and was like, "Hey, I want to play with you." And we've been playing ever since. So this is 2010, and this was like musicians were just starting to use facebook yeah yeah <laughs> right uh-huh. so um and because i was out of the country for a year i didn't have like a lot of day-to-day stuff to do uh-huh. so twitter had just come out like the year before too mm-hmm. and uh so i got deep into social media like how it worked and all the different platforms and started building my website and i put out my first record so i was like I was kind of one of the first musicians that was on Twitter. Like mm-hmm. there were a few other journalists too. Like not a lot of the journalists were on there at that mm-hmm. point, and uh, musicians didn't really have like band pages like they do now too. You know, yeah. so I had all those pieces in place like five years before people were doing it. Because I was seeing all his stuff from social media, I started just like commenting and kind of sharing it with with the, with people on my on my networks. And when I moved back to Philly, Leon Jordan Jr. actually, oh, okay. I, I, I hit him up. I was like, hey, man, I want to play this band. Just like, let me know when you need a sub. And, you know, it was like a week later. He's yeah. like, I need a sub. So I jumped in, did a gig, and then Oren, he didn't even have my phone number. He hit me up on my Facebook page. <laughs> like, not even my not even my personal page. Yeah. You know, like my, it's like, I need you for this date. And I was like, okay. And, you know, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were doing the gigs at Chris's at that point, And then, mm-hmm. you know. It's kind of all built from that thing. That kind of brings me around to being a composer and arranger. Because you, you write, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. And not only tunes, mm-hmm. but, like, big works. Mm-hmm. You know, Harlem Sweet. Harlem Sweet. Harlem Sweet. There was a couple tunes that are on the new record that got mm-hmm. the, the, the nomination. Um, I, did, I did a Monk Suite for them, too, yeah. featuring Bruce Barth last year. So we did that. And... Uh, what else? Yeah, I guess just some charts and then those things. Yeah. yeah. Those, two, those couple of things. The Harlem Suite was the big one. Yeah. So coming back around to being a composer and arranger, what's your process like for for writing? Just like kind of general. Let's okay. Just kind of dive into that a little yeah. bit. In, uh, well, in general, in general to me, it's always about the melody. That seems to be where a lot of my strength lies. Is that I can I can find melodies that people remember, and I do have a process for that. And mm-hmm. so basically, my process is I don't write anything down <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Like I basically just like I'll find a melody, 
and then like I won't play it and then uh, like two days later I'll go back and if I still remember it yeah that means it was, it was sticky yeah if something's not sticky I usually I, w- I don't try oh. to use it like I only try to use things that are that will stick in your head you yeah. know and that, or that stick in my head you mm-hmm. know I think that's really what it comes down to and so if it's not going to get stuck in my brain, I can't expect it to get stuck in anybody else's. Yeah. Um, so I that's like the basis of everything. Yeah. And then um, from there, uh, there's another part of it, which is rhythm. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of times I, I build a lot of my compositions, no matter what style I'm in, around claves. That'll either come before or after a melody, depending. Sometimes I'll start from a writing point of, okay, let's start with a specific clave and then see how I can alter that to make it a different kind of form and then construct a melody around that and then see if it sticks. Mm -hmm. Or I'll write a melody that sticks and then, okay, now what can I do with it rhythmically to kind of make it interesting, you know? So it's a combination of those those two. And harmony kind of can play a part into all, like, different aspects of that, but Mm -hmm. most of the time, sometimes I'll come up with, like, a harmonic structure first um, but most of, but really what I think it, it, it hedges on is, is the fact that I just try to make melodies that I'm going to remember. Yeah. And that's like the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really good. I don't, I don't think I've heard, heard anyone say that before. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people just like trying to catalog every little idea that they come with, up yeah. with. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it act, I, I use it as a filter because if I did yeah. that, then I then I would be writing everything down. And it's not yeah. saying that that's not valid either because there's yeah. there's something about like Nicholas Payton has this method where whenever he gets an idea, he just sings it into his phone, yeah. right, and that's it. And then when he does a record, he looks back at all his tracks and says, okay, here's an A section, here's a B section, yeah, here's yeah, yeah. a tune, you know. Uh-huh. And that's cool too. Um, for me, it's just like this seems to work, and like that's. That seems to also be the feedback from people that listen to my music too. Mm-hmm. That they they that's what they like about it. You know, yeah. they like oh, I was singing your song. I'm like great, yeah. Because no words, so yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's that's great. Well, what about for arranging? Mm-hmm. It's like a totally other animal. Mm-hmm. I've only ever dabbled in it because mm-hmm. I've always been just kind of intimidated by it. Yeah. But how do you how do you approach arranging? Well, I, it's you know I think it's about the main thing is just writing kind of in the style of pieces that you like or arrangers that you like, I guess I guess I would say. If I'm working with like a three-piece horn section or a four-piece horn section, I have a lot of options. I can like kind of go back into the Oliver Nelson playbook and kind of see what he did. I can listen to Wynton Marsalis' septet and see how he would arrange for the three horns up front. I think a lot of the way I write for horns kind of has to comes out of like the New Orleans tradition of trumpet having a specific role, the trombone having a specific role, the the reed player having a specific role. I don't really have any formal training in arranging. It's everything that's been picked up just from being around. There's one book in particular that I do most of my you know most of my studies have been from is uh, Inside the Score, mm-hmm. which is like they take. I think it's four scores by like classic big band arrangers. There's a Thad Jones, there's a Bob Brookmeyer, there's a, like a, maybe there's a Neil Hefty one in there as well. And they just break it down like in every way that you can possibly look at it. Like, what are they doing here? What are they doing here? How do they build? How do they add instruments? How do they, what effects do, does a unison have as, compo- as compared to having a full harmony, like 
a harmony, what's a drop six voicing, you know, all like the, mm-hmm. the tools of the trade basically. And then at that point, like, again, if I'm doing an arrangement of a tune, which is usually what I do, if it's an original composition, I usually still start with the tune and yeah. then I say, okay, I have the, I have the song now, now what can I do to, to arrange it? And then luckily I've been in a situation where most of the arranging I've done um, has been for like specific people mm-hmm. too. So I'm, I know who's playing the tenor part. I know who the trombone player is. I know that if I write a part for a David Gibson, you know, it's going to sound different than if I write a part for a Stafford Hunter. Just little things like that where it's like, you know, it's it, which comes out, I guess, the Duke Ellington school of arranging where you're just, you're really just playing up the characters that you have mm-hmm. at your, at your disposal. So, I mean, it really comes down to what kind of mood you're trying to establish mm-hmm. with the arrangement because you could take a song like um, In a Sentimental Mood and what does it sound like if you started out with just like a solo clarinet with bass, right? As opposed to, okay, I'm going to start it out with a brass fanfare with all the trumpets and the trombones, right? Either one of those could be kind of cool, mm-hmm. you know, but like what... What mood are you trying to? Yeah. What mood are you trying yeah. to paint? Like with, using the that. mood to like yeah. narrow down your options exactly. so you don't have like infinity. Exactly, because you can do anything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you know it's cool to write like like more extended pieces where mm-hmm. like this section is this mood and then this section is this mood and then how can we achieve achieve that? To me, it's like a lot about a lot about what I love about music is just the drama of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that it that it is like. It is almost like theater in a way sometimes. So how can you, how can you use orchestration to kind of you know, opera is great at that. Classical music is great at that. Duke Ellington is great at that. All these great arrangers are really good at that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just about picking up different stuff and just kind of seeing what you need to kind of. The more you expand your palette, I think that's mm-hmm. that's really what it is. And it's pretty open. You know, yeah. that's what's great about it. You can do anything. There's no, no wrong way to do it. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite figuration to to write for? Yeah, I I love four horns because yeah. you get the soprano alto tenor bass and like that's like that to me like four part writing is the, you know mm-hmm. that's like the backbone of most you know great art music you know yeah. or let me not say great art music but just great composed music yeah. is like counterpoint and four part harmony and and fugue and all that stuff like. That stuff was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so having four horns in front of a rhythm section is a lot of fun. Because you get, especially if it's because I play trumpet, trumpet, and alto or tenor. Some, some, um, some, some alto. Yeah, probably an alto. And then tenor trombone. And then um, berry is great. And then the berry is kind of the option. Like I, I, three horns is kind of nice too. Cause I've done that a few times. That's really nice. Three or four horns is cool. Um, big bands a lot. Mm. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot of people to yes. deal with. It's a lot of people to deal with. So uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely gear towards kind of the smaller configurations. But mm. uh, you know, it, it depends. Like I like taking a band like that too, and just like writing a piece that only has like four bars for everybody and then it's the rest of it's just trio you know in preparing for this i was going through listening to a a a bunch of the uh different bands you have led or co-led or have been a part of Mm -hmm. and 
just like everything's killing. Like all the bands are just like class, just just super happening. <laughs> How do you pick projects that you're involved in or groups or okay. configurations? And if that's too broad, specifically, how did that come about? Because well, that, that, to me, is like... Yeah. Fresh that, Cut is a perfect is, example yeah. of my whole philosophy on putting bands together, is that, or picking projects, is mm-hmm. that I don't. Yeah. <laughs> the projects pick me. Yeah. Like, really, in the end, like, most of the time, like, even the bands that I start and, mm-hmm. like, have written all the music for... They pick me, you know, like it, it was just like, oh, this is what makes sense right now. Right. This is this is the this is the sound of right now. And Fresh Cut was that all the way. Like the, the only reason that band even exists is because of Lenny Seidman mm-hmm. at the Pain and Bride. And he literally picked us, you know, he said, you on trumpet, Jason Fraticelli on bass and Anwar Marshall on drums. And right there you have a great band. Yeah, like we've done so many gigs mm-hmm. with just the three of us that yeah. were some of the best gigs I've ever played in my life were with those mm-hmm. two guys. You know the full front, you know. But then you're you're saying, okay, we we'll pick you three, and then we'll give you, <laughs> you know, a couple thousand dollars to 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 hire mm-hmm. whoever else you want. And uh, so this, then you get to. I knew Anwar, but I didn't um, know Jason. So we got together and just played trio. And after we played. Um, Jason always tells the story. We, we played Take the Coltrane, it's the mm-hmm. blues, and uh, had such a great time afterwards. We just started, we were just all laughing. You know, it was <laughs> yeah, the first yeah, time yeah. we played, we are just like, wow, okay, this is going to be amazing, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, from there, it was just like, who do we want, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you like to write for, like we were just mm-hmm. talking about? So that's why we have Four Horns in Fresh Cut Orchestra. I was like, whatever rhythm section you want, I just want Four Horns up front. Like, yeah. I don't, like, you know... I would love to have, you know, we talked about percussion. That was mm-hmm. one thing that we kind of all wanted. Um, piano was definitely something we wanted. Guitars and the laptop, mm-hmm. electronics, that was all kind of conversations as well. But really my input on that band was mostly the front line. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was like, I want these guys on the front line with me. So I can, so, because I want four horns. Like, yeah. that's what I want. And the rhythm section was really all, they were all decided by Jay and uh, Anwar. Not decided, it was like, how about this guy? And I was like, yeah, yeah. great, <laughs> yeah. let's do it, yeah. So we had Francois Zayas on percussion, Brian Marcel on piano, um, Tim Conley on guitar and electronics, and Matt Davis mm-hmm. on guitar. And, you know, we all knew each other for years, so it was it was kind of one of those things where we just kind of got our fan all these different people from different musical families together in mm-hmm. one place. Um, cause the band's like part Captain Black and yeah. part, <laughs> um, Jason Fraticelli and band and, uh, Tim Connolly's mast and, you know, Brian yeah. Marcella's imaginarium. Like there are all these different bands and, and Matt Davis's aerial photograph, all these different bands in the same band, yeah. which was kind of exciting about that. Mira at the Kimmel center. Mm-hmm. That, that was a, mm-hmm. that was a, uh, performance that will always stick in my mind. So that was a few years ago, and that was yeah. the Kimmel Center's first uh, jazz residency program that they mm-hmm. did, right? Is that what you're talking? That yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 right. And we there were three bands that night. It was us, Bobby Zankel, and Pablo Batista. There were three different bands, and we had our premiere of the that was the was the Life Mosaic. 
And we had the projections. The projections. That one? Yeah, 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 yeah. We had Tom Spiker with us doing yes, projections. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that was a that was a fun show. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> was really cool. And yeah. that that's that's a having the the live projections has kept rolling around in my brain mm-hmm. for ever since. Yeah, as jazz musicians trying to make jazz more. You're just getting more people in involved mm-hmm. in it. Um, I think having a, a visual component to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've gone to see bands that were just. I've I've seen shows that were not good, mm-hmm. and they had a stunning visual thing, <laughs> right. and it was totally sold out yeah, at right. the Electric Factory. Yeah, and you walk out and you hear people walk talking about the show and going. Oh, that light show is amazing, and like mm-hmm. that's all they're talking about. Yeah, you know. Right. Yeah. So if you can pair that with like yeah. some legit, really great music, uh, sky's the limit. Totally. And, I mean, I, I feel like I'm still kind of working that thread at this yeah. point. You know, what I mean that that was that project in general was kind of the genesis of it. I mean, and um, for people listening who might not. Um, have an idea what that might look like or weren't at the show basically we had like a 10-piece band on on a stage mm-hmm. and then we had a projector behind us and we had all these uh like video clips of that they were actually i think at this point i can say where they were from yeah. <laughs> they were from the uh they're actually from the upenn uh the penn museum archives oh wow yeah a lot <laughs> of the videos were like archival film from from penn museum that we I was I was actually had a gig doing social media for Penn Museum for like a year and a half when I first moved back to Philly, and struck up a uh, friendship with their archive department. Oh wow! And so I got a bunch of like like crazy like nice. expeditions to wherever all over the yeah, globe yeah, and kind of yeah. edited them down to this video, and that whole aspect of it really came from Tom Spiker because yeah. I had worked with him with Jason and Anwar. He has this project called Mobile Pleasure Lounge. It's these old movies and what he did that show. Like yeah. when you when you say projections, like he's basically taking all these old films and just mm-hmm. like DJing yeah. them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so he does that with like old movies with like Angela Lansbury and uh. Steve McQueen <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, just wild things and then just like free jazz on top of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a so he was kind of what got me into thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, that that. That's a. I think about that a lot, and I also think how a lot of the the places that we play at, like that'll never happen at. Mm-hmm. Like we can't yeah, do that. You just can't at, do like, it. You can't yeah. do it at certain yeah. clubs and whatnot. And you know, I understand why, and I understand mm-hmm. you know the jazz club has its has mm-hmm. its place, but seeking out places to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, is is interesting to me um, and just kind of just popped in my head but specifically like here in Germantown yeah. like Rittenhouse Soundworks yeah. is like a great place to do stuff like that yeah yeah like, yeah totally because Jim Hamilton the owner is just like yeah do it yeah go ahead go you know do, do, it, do what you want Hey, man, you know what? I'm gonna in on top of that, I'm gonna make an amendment to what I said earlier. Yeah. Actually, that wasn't the first time I did something like that. The first time I did something like that was with you. Oh, was it? And Jenny. Do you remember that? We did a show at the so after the Fresh Cut premiere of Painted Bride, this was before oh, we did the Kennel yeah. Center. We had a residency 
-hmm. at the bride and we took one of Jenny's films yeah and yeah, we yeah, live yeah, scored yeah. it with Oren with Oren yeah. and we also had uh, Jenny my wife Ola and our friend Trina and they were on stage actresses like in the yeah 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 in the in the in the, in the uh, in the costumes I think Anwar was in costume too and like they had a procession yeah. through the thing yeah yeah and yeah. it was just like this weird theater film music I think there were like ten people. In the yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta. But it was somewhere. cool. It was awesome. Yeah, it was, yeah, that's, I, yeah. That was part of the paid, part the paid in bride residency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, then that that part of that film ended up in the fresh cut thing. It did. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah right. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was actually the first step towards that was that project. Oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah. that was. Uh, Jenny's film Procession at Dawn. Yeah, yeah Procession at Dawn. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's very cool. Cool. So, uh, speaking of, of Rittenhouse Soundworks, mm -hmm. I understand that you did a filmed a, a video there. Mm -hmm. Could you uh, could you uh, describe describe what that is? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think to like properly set this up, I probably should take a step back and sure. talk about the Color Theory Band just so uh, we can kind of get yeah. get the Color Theory Band. Um, that's a great band. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the although we're not called Color Theory anymore uh, due to uh, copyright oh, <laughs> issues <I know. laughs> or trademarks. Yeah, there is a actually there is an artist named Color Theory oh. uh, who's an electronic artist who's been putting out records for the last twenty years, oh. like EDM dance records, and really nice guy. Yeah. And he, he hit me up, and uh, I guess some company had hit him up to film his show at the Black Cat in San Francisco. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so he sent me an email. He was like, hey, listen, um, you know, I've been using this name for years. It might it might be a problem at some point. So, yeah. you know, check into it. And honestly, Color Theory was um, never really the name of the band. Mm -hmm. like, I, like, I always marketed it as Josh Lawrence and Color Theory because yeah. that was the name of the first record. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So, the band, so I was always calling the band Color Theory. And then we ended up... Well, let me talk about that, I guess, first. So, yeah, so the band Color Theory kind of came out of Fresh Cut Orchestra mm -hmm. and um, and this visual thing we were just talking about and the Captain Black Big Band. Mm -hmm. um, and really seeing the effect of, of what that Kimmel residency had with the projections, and we did that similar thing, actually, with Captain Black as well. Maybe we'll talk about that later on that the visual impact really was interesting to me like how can mm -hmm. I play with that in different ways and my wife Ola is a great photographer and designer and really color theory project was, was our project it mm -hmm. started with just us talking about okay how can we do this let's let's figure out a way so it started out funny enough with like a photo shoot mm -hmm. that was the that was the original idea I was like we'll go around town Philly and we'll go around Philadelphia and find all these Walls, like where we lived, we lived in Rittenhouse, and there were all these just like starkly painted color walls all over the place. So we went and did a photo session in front of all these colors, and then we 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 edited all the photos down, and then um, we had this idea that we should do songs for each of these colors. So I have a red, a purple, um, well not a purple, a yellow, a blue. And um, I'll, I'll tell why that didn't, we didn't do purple in a moment. So we had different colors for each one. And uh, we're like, okay, we should call it Color Theory and then, you know, write a different song and we'll try to put it together. And so 
I had a gig at the Kimmel Center at that point. I was doing, uh, there was a rest, there still is a restaurant there called Volver. Mm -hmm. And I was playing every Wednesday there with a different band, trying to figure out who was the right configuration for the music I was writing to, 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 to play the music. And at the same time, I was also playing every Monday with Captain Black Big Band in, in New York. Um, so I had these two outlets to kind of just like workshop different ideas. Mm -hmm. So during this one month, I ended up uh, running the jam session at, at Smoke on Monday evenings and doing this gig. So I had like 10 dates or something. And so I was like, I'm going to write a different color each one of these shows and we'll promote it with a picture and it'll just like draw people into it. Mm -hmm. And and it really did. It really worked. Mm -hmm. And it started um, on... April 21st because it was the day that Prince died oh, yeah. yeah and uh, so the first one was purple I had this song that was kind of floating around in my head and uh, I saw the news I was at Drexel University teaching and I immediately went to my Sibelius like this song is called purple now because I had kind of been writing it out and I had kind of had the, the basic idea of it but I didn't know what it was until until it happened so we played it that first night and then that was it and so every gig was a different one we had a red night in new york a yellow night at the Kim, kimmel center it was just like each one was like a different themed color and each one we premiere a different song mm -hmm. and then after a month of doing this we went into morning star studios mm -hmm. um and cut the record in one day and that was it yeah and then we ended up getting it to Positone Records and they released the Color Theory record yeah the following year yeah, yeah. I like that record a lot um yeah. specifically shout out to Madison Rast yeah 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 yeah. he's like my my bass Madison, my bass crush Madison Rast on bass uh Adam Falk mm -hmm. on Rhodes on that record he played just Rhodes we had Orrin Evans on piano uh we had Caleb Curtis on alto Brent White on trombone. Yeah, that was the band for that record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we, then immediately after cutting that record, we moved to New York. Yeah. <laughs> and while we were cutting that record, we didn't know we were moving to New York. We yeah. literally finished that record, and, and uh, a month later, we had packed up our apartment and were gone <laughs> from Philly. Yeah. And uh, the record ended up uh, to Positone, and they released it. And then we ended up cutting a second record with the band. So that was Contrast. Contrast yeah. And that was Color Theory... Josh Lawrence and Color Theory contrast record. And it was basically supposed to be an answer to Color Theory. Mm -hmm. And that record was cut up into two halves. The band was a bit different because I had moved to New York and had to find some different musicians. Uh, but it still pretty much kept the DNA of the original Color Theory intact. It was still Caleb on alto. We had um, Oren on piano on a couple tracks. But uh, Zakai Curtis Phil stepped in to, to start playing piano with us. And his brother, Lucas, on bass, joined us. Anwar was still on drums. Um, yeah, that was that band. And that record was cut into um, two halves. The first half were all songs based on um, paintings by Vasily Kandinsky. Mm -hmm. And um, the second half were all colors, but all the songs were... Um, it You know, Trump was just elected, right? Yeah. <laughs> like... Uh, like when the color theory record out came out, um, you know Trump had just been elected, and we had a song on there called Red. And I remember like looking at this mm. at the, the computer screen, watching just like 
you know, all the states oh, filling in man. with red in the middle. And I think around like 1230 at night, I get a text from Oren that's just red capital letters with like three <laughs> three exclamation points i'm like yeah so so the second color theory record was you know the half the second half was kind of a reaction to that yeah um the first tune of that of that was gray for freddie gray um who we lost in uh baltimore uh there was a song from michael brown uh ferguson uh, we had Agent Orange, which was, that song was actually, um, that was right at the beginning of the Kaepernick, uh, like his protest mm-hmm. about the national anthem. And, um, you know, I didn't really know much. I didn't know all the other stanzas of the national anthem that most people don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so once I read, you know, the the bit about, you know, the, the, the army hunting down rebellious slaves, you know, that they're, they're, that they're, they're trying to kill for deserting the U S government. Um, you know, you're like, why is this the national anthem? (laughs) So that, so basically what I did, it was very simple. It's just, we just, I just took it and I reversed the entire melodic line and then put it in minor. Mm -hmm. So that's agent orange just arranged for the band. It's, It's very chaotic. And then we had a song, Blues on the Bridge, mm-hmm. which was, it was about two things. It was about the, it was about the original Selma March and the, the Andrew Pettus Bridge, but also it was that that was the summer of Charlottesville mm-hmm. March as well. So it was just kind of like a, yeah. you know, uh, kind of a, a set piece about kind of those two contrasting things, uh, you mm-hmm. know separated by quite a bit of time so that was that record and i know that was a long spiel about it but the reason i say it is because this third one right yeah (laughs) get into the written house thing um so uh since contrast was like half kandinsky records or kandinsky paintings that we turned that i turned into songs um i started reading more of kandinsky's work like Mm -hmm. his book um on the spiritual and art where he kind of talks about color theory and um how he had synesthesia and he heard different sounds from colors and 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 vice versa right saw sound saw color in sounds right so i was like oh that's cool so the more i the more i started researching it i was trying to you know i was really just getting into it i had no other Mm -hmm. idea about it and then I ended up winning a grant from Chamber Music America, their new Jazz Works grant, which is an incredible program that I urge every musician who writes original music to apply for. Um, it's called um, New Jazz Works Grant Program from Chamber Music America. And the reason I recommend this, this, this program is because all you do to apply is send in your music. That's it. Like... It is. That's, so great. that's it. You know, like you're <laughs> not. You're not yeah. saying. You're not. I'm not. Tr- I don't. I want to do this. I want to do that. You, you know. I think. I think I had to do a little bit of that. That I'm writing music for the band, and and you submit all the musicians who are in your band. And anyway, I ended up winning this grant, and uh, I was like, okay, what am I going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Started reading a bit about degenerate art and promenade. Well, this was later. Learned about you know, Kandinsky had the had. Since he was very musical in the way he approached painting, he had a series called Compositions and a series called Improvisations. But in the Compositions series, the first three of them 
um, we don't have anymore because they were labeled degenerate art by the Nazi party, basically meaning if, they, if it wasn't like realist, if anything that was impressionist mm-hmm. or, or not uh, realistic at all, or also uh, from like a Jewish artist, mm-hmm. which Kandinsky wasn't, but these are just, you know, broad umbrellas for what they've labeled degenerate art. They were just labeled this. And they were eventually confiscated from the Bauhaus, not because they were degenerate art, because the Nazis needed money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like all this artwork got stolen and basically auctioned, auctioned off. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story is, is that these three were in this castle that ended up getting bombed in the mid thir- uh, late 30s, I think 39, something like that. So they're gone. There's mm-hmm. a black and white photo of one. And uh, I just thought it was such a compelling story and the fact that they weren't there that I just, I, I did a suite of three compositions that were bas- basically a eulogy to those three lost compositions. Mm-hmm. So that was Lost Works. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up premiering that at the Winter Jazz Fest. And then we did a couple other shows uh, through the year. It ended up as one third of this triptych record, mm-hmm. which the triptych record is um, three, three movement suites. We have Lost Work Suite, Composition 1, 2, and 3. We have uh, Happiest Together, uh, which is that song plus two others. That, that that whole suite is about my wife. And then we had um, a suite called uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Earth, Wind, and Fire uh, which was basically just named after one of my favorite bands mm-hmm. of all time. going to go see them on my birthday this summer. I'm really excited about it. And... Uh, <laughs> And the songs have nothing to do with Earth, Wind, and Fire at all. Yeah. I just like kind of use that as a starting point to just write songs that were kind of in the style of other bands that kind of influenced me. So there's one that's like real kind of Electric Miles. There's one that's like Maud Jamal. Yeah. There's the one that's like, yeah, there's great. one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's one that's like straight 80s, like, mm-hmm. you know, new bop kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like Terrence Blanchard, Donald Harrison band kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up doing an Earth, Wind, and Fire cover on that too. Because on the last one we did that Prince cover and I wanted to do another like song that I liked that I grew up with kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the Lost Work Suite. So part of that grant became the record. And towards the end of cutting the record, we did a show at Dizzy's. We did a show at the Art Museum where we got mm-hmm. to you know talk about this a little bit. We went into Rittenhouse Soundworks and we just cut some video live there with the band just hot off yeah. the road. And it was killing came yeah, out great yeah Come, coming out with road chops yeah. exactly yeah it was mm-hmm. nice yeah it was a nice nice hang we just had all you know you know how the yeah. vibe is we just had all our people just come by and hang out and we yep. filmed it it was a beautiful day it's gonna come yeah. out this spring or this summer yeah. where would people be able to to find it at you could, we're definitely gonna have a dedicated space on our website mm-hmm. joshlarncejazz.com we just overhauled it, and there's a lot of really cool stuff on there right now. We got a shop up and everything. Yeah, and I like the scores and everything. I was checking out checking out your blog. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty cool. Had some, um, not to di- uh, not to uh, go off in another tangent, but the blogs were about like uh, like education, and, mm-hmm. and I I found there was there was one there that was really interesting about uh, playing with a drone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a uh, I, I like that I like that a lot. Yeah, I, just, I, I feel like just kind of in general, bass and trumpet have a lot mm-hmm. a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. especially when you're, when you're talking with like a bo- with playing with bow. Yeah, and playing with uh, a drone is it's 
to me, I really saw like like a like a metronome mm-hmm. for pitch. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. But could you could you uh, talk a little bit about uh, your approach to playing with the or practicing with a metronome or with, with, with the, the drone? With the drone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. First of all, I can't take credit for it at all because mm-hmm. uh, there's if you know I got it from Ingrid Jensen, mm-hmm. a great trauma player, and she mm-hmm. has a whole like uh, I think it's a, one of those Jazz Lincoln Center. Jazz Ed videos. There's a bunch of them up there. She uses a Shruti box, which is like this little self-contained instrument, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, really, like I don't, I don't have perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty. I have really good relative pitch, and, and since we're trained to do this, for me, the first step is just connecting to the sound, right? Mm-hmm. So, just making sure that I know where something is in tune before I even touch my instrument is is probably the most important thing to me. With trumpet, trumpet, uh, I studied from this, this, um, I studied with a bunch of different people, but one of the main schools of teachers that I've studied with is from the Arnold Jacobs mm-hmm. school, who was a tuba player. Mm-hmm. He actually was in Philly, so he was part of the Philly Orchestra, but then he ended up at the Chicago uh, Symphony Orchestra, with uh, which was arguably probably the greatest brass section of all time like you know at this point in recorded history like they're amazing but her on on trumpet so a whole kind of a whole style of playing the instrument kind of came out of chicago you didn't see it really too much in the in quote-unquote jazz players until like winton and nicholas payton and terrence blanchard they kind of all kind of came out of the school where they're kind of taking more of an orchestral approach like lee morgan kind of had a little bit but and but anyway that that, that's besides the point but um really what it comes down to is that arnold jacobs theory was that playing a brass instrument was no physically different than singing Mm -hmm. that was his idea the only difference is where the vibration happens and when you're singing, the vibration is in your vocal cord. And on the trumpet, it happens on your chops inside the mouthpiece. Basically. Or the horn ends up being the resonator, the, the resonator instead of your um, vocal cords. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is connecting to your voice and connecting to your breath and knowing where the pitch is so that you're basically singing instead of mm-hmm. playing the instrument. Very easy to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it's a whole like thing to kind of practice it as well. But that's how I use the drone. It's just like centering my pitch, just hearing where I am in my body first. Then I like sing. I'll do what trumpet players would call free buzzing, which is basically with your lips, right? Then you do the same thing on a mouthpiece. And then you, then by the time you attach to the horn, you're pretty much, you're kind of there in your space. And then it becomes about, okay, what is, what is a unison sound like? What does a unison feel like, more importantly? What is it? What does an octave feel like? Yeah. What does um, a half step feel like? You know, like what does a sixth feel like? You know, mm-hmm. like or what do these wider intervals feel like? You know, how does how what does playing a B major scale over a B flat drone feel like? What kind of you know you know what I mean? Like what like what all these different points of reference just feel like? And that's really kind of what I use it more more than anything. I just use it to kind of just play with long tones. Uh, on which are important for trumpet players. I'm sure every trumpet player knows that, but if you're not a trumpet player, it's an important thing that we have to do. Uh, just kind of maintain the physicality of, of you know, our, mu- our musculature and everything. Um, so it helps with that a lot. But I think of, like, you were talking about metronome. I, I, I think of these things like a drone, a tuner, 
um, a metronome is like gauges, mm-hmm. like just like dialing in everything to where you're like almost like you're tuning like a machine, like some kind of machine. That's yeah, how yeah, I always yeah. think of it. Like there's all these different parts that you're just trying to fine tune mm-hmm. so that you don't have to think about it. So yeah. When you get out on, you know, I'm crossing metaphors when you get out on the road. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think car analogy is probably the best. Like if you're making sure all the little pieces of the, the, the engine are working properly, that you're not thinking about it when you press on the gas. Yeah. And that's really the main thing. Yeah. So to get back to the triptych record, mm-hmm. So it is out. It is out. It yep. is out. Um, yep. And it it's on all the all the things. All the, the things. It's it's on the, the things. It's on the things as a as a whole record triptych. But then we also yeah. have the sweets out separately. Cool as well. Yeah, it's kind of one, one of the things I wanted to talk about. I was mm-hmm. I went to the the release at Chris's the Philly Philly release mm-hmm. um, the other night. Chris's Jazz Cafe. Maybe a week or two. A couple ago, weeks ago. A couple yeah, weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you guys sounded great. Yeah, thanks. That was that was a really good, uh, really good night. And I was actually I was sitting at the bar mm-hmm. in the back, and the whole bar was just quiet. Oh. Like nobody was talking at <laughs> the bar. Everyone was wow. just like, "That's a rarity." Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is. But that everyone was just like, "Yeah." Because yeah. usually the people at the at the bar are. They're just kind of coming in there, the you, know, yeah. you know. They're yeah, at the yeah, bar. Yeah, yeah. They're, not, they're not really there to see anything in particular. Mm-hmm. But you know, you guys just, like grabbed their attention yeah. and didn't let go. I want to talk about just a little bit about how you released Triptych, because mm-hmm. I noticed it on Spotify as Lost Works. Great was first. Yeah, and I was like. Ooh, what's this? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Right. And then yeah. like a month or so later. Yeah. Um, two weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks later. Two weeks yeah. later. We did uh, one every two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was really slick. Yeah. Because well, first of all, you can hit different different people. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you release everything all at once, mm-hmm. you know, some people might not have seen it. Yeah. You know, some people may have seen the seen the the when. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire came out and go, right. oh, what? Oh, there's another thing before that? Then you scroll down and it has all the other ones. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I just like that kind of model for, like, I, like I feel like the, the kind of old way of releasing mm-hmm. albums is kind of outdated. Yeah. I, I feel like it also, how you did it, you know, fit the overall... Like concept. it wasn't wasn't a marketing ploy. It right. was like this is part of the the this concept. Is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm not really sure what my question is about <laughs> that, but yeah. I just wanted to point that out. Oh yeah. Was there any? Um, either we can keep talking about that, or is there any other thing about kind of like how jazz has been done that just mm-hmm. needs to just be different? Oh yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's funny because I think the to me, the EPs are actually, like, more of an old-school way. I yeah. think it's more of, like, a return to yeah. roots, actually, mm-hmm. more than anything. Because, like, like, if you look at, like, you know, some of my favorite records are, like, those bird recordings that are, like, mm-hmm. each track is, like, three minutes long. Yeah. You know, like, and, like, the in the old, I, for, I don't remember the designation, like, how long, how much time you or, wasn't the full LP when he was recording, right? Yeah. They had the they had the the smaller records, so you could only have like two or three track 
maybe two on a side, yeah. right? Like you only you didn't have that much time. But even when you got to LP, yeah, like uh, like I mean, I have as we all do, like you know, some Freddie Hubbard record from the '60s. It's just six tracks long, mm-hmm. well, you know. And when you're listening to a record, I'm the type of person that I'll listen to a side like 10 times before yeah, I flip yeah. it over, you know, like uh-huh. I don't need to hear the, like, I'd be like, wow, I was, I don't need to think that was great. Like, let, yeah. me just, let me just listen to that again, you know? Yeah. And, um, I always think like, you know, I mean, not think is like, I honestly don't have time to sit down and listen to a 72 minute record. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of music. Yes. It is. Um, and not saying that, you know, that's not a good endeavor as well. Cause I've, I've done that too. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, something that I don't like to do. So I think like there's something to be said about the restriction that mm-hmm. like an like mm-hmm. like that an album side gives you, you know? Yeah. And like really this EP was me trying to like get closer and closer to finally putting out some vinyl at some point, you yeah. know? Like cuz to me like that's my that's how I listen to music. Like yeah. if it's not the radio, it's usually my records. Like if yeah. I or if I'm like cuz I travel a lot, I um I do use streaming services, so yeah. I listen to a lot of music on Spotify um, as well for like long. If I'm if I and if I really want to listen to like a whole flow of a record, mm-hmm. but most of the time if I'm like you know have people over cooking or I just have music on during the day, it's mm-hmm. usually a record or like radio, yeah. honestly. So from the beginning, like uh, this was something that I was interested in, and actually the idea came from the the record company, mm-hmm. record label Positone. Yeah. Mark Free actually called me. He's like, we want to do this. I'm like that's cool because I want to do that too yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. so and again like you said this was the perfect project to do yeah. it with and um, <clears throat> this was the first this was kind of you know us kind of pushing away from color theory a bit so I didn't want it to be just colors anymore or have it just be associated with mm-hmm. that I wanted the subject matter to kind of range yeah. more and the other thing that's great about you know doing three EPs plus a plus full length record is that you get all this cool album art you know and like to for what I do uh, like I said this whole color theory band started with me and my wife Ola Mm -hmm. um, putting this together we've always thought about every time we put out a project that's not just the music mm-hmm. it's what's the album cover yeah what's the what's the website experience for people that are checking it out mm-hmm. what what are our group of pictures that we're putting around around this what design elements are gonna are you gonna notice from this that are in this and what kind of cues like there's a lot of just like hidden detail that yeah. like we really think of because like we think of the whole thing as the entire as the entire product so absolutely. having four album covers is kind of fun yeah, to play with absolutely. you know yeah yeah so it was great I mean uh, it, it was a, it was a really fun project to do that's for sure and I don't know if we're gonna do something like this again but I think it's I, th- I think it's you know I think I heard something recently Nora Jones is not even putting out full records anymore she's mm-hmm. just doing singles mm-hmm. I'm like yeah why not yeah like, she's Nora Jones you know yeah, but yeah. I mean like if you do like a nine track album like split it up why not yeah you know like especially if you're if you're putting it out however you're gonna do it like if you're putting it out on Bandcamp and you're not even tied to a label and you have control of everything do it as you know try to do it as creatively as you can I think it just mm-hmm. keeps like I think you're what you told me about it is exactly what I wanted to happen yeah because I didn't even promote it really yeah right I, I wanted it so that like the, the platforms themselves would spread it Mm. Themselves, so like you mm. said, you get a you get a notification. You probably listened to some of my music before, mm-hmm. and it's like you might want to check out this. Oh, new one! 
and then two weeks later, it's another new one, then another yeah. one. Like, man, what's he doing? You know? Yeah, <laughs> and and like 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 you said about wanting to re-listen to a side over and over yeah. again. Yeah, like three songs. It's nothing. That's like, yeah. you know, yeah. I could and did listen to them right. several times. Right. Yeah. Uh, it lets you just it gets you just kind of take it in that little chunk, experience it and enjoy it, and then come back to it when you can. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I want to backtrack for one second mm-hmm. before we, uh, and then I have like one more question mm-hmm. and we can wrap up. But I want to kind of get back to kind of digging kind of the, into the weeds on, on, on some technical and process driven things yeah. solely for my own, uh, <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> my own, uh, curiosity. Yeah. What, is, what would be like a good first, second or third step for people for I would say for young professionals or high level amateurs mm-hmm. that want to want to get their reading to next level oh okay okay I got a good answer for this um, first of all get a metronome <laughs> that's the first thing and then the easy answer is just read anything you can mm-hmm. right like so I pretty much, as a trumpet player, I pretty much read, I try to read an, at least one etude a day, like mm-hmm. a classical etude. And that's just to keep up the, mu- like again, the musculature and make sure everything's cool, but also for stamina, make sure that like, you know, I can get through an entire etude kind of thing. It hits a lot of technical problems. It, 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 it kind of deals with keys, that, that sort of thing. And then you're also reading, even if you've gone through it, even if you played the same etude a hundred times, you should still read along with it, you know, just so that you're seeing the connection where everything is. But the other thing is I do, um, since most of the music I play is, is in that quote unquote jazz world, right? Like a lot of my stuff like that I have to sight read that's difficult is stuff in that vein, like mostly comes out of the bebop language. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I take the, the Omni book, mm-hmm. right? And I just put on, um, I, I have this program on my phone called Drum Genius, which is a really great, robust app. Um, has a lot of great features. It has like a built-in clave metronome and all this type of stuff, which I work with all the time. Um, and I, I pretty much live on a metronome. You know, mm-hmm. like like it's it's so integral to to my practice. It's as integral to my practice as my trumpet is. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's really important for me. Um, so I'll just put on one of their backing tracks, like swing fast swing and then just sight read out of the bird book just flip a page to in the middle of the solo and just sight read and if i can't get it at that tempo find a tempo that's a little bit slower try playing um his solo on confirmation as like a really slow swing you know mm-hmm. so that you're just like you're seeing where all the rhythms are you're you're kind of playing the language right but you're still reading um so then by the time I do, if you do that like over a week and then go in to play like a big band gig, mm-hmm. the stuff you're reading is not even nearly as hard as what you just read out of the, out of the bird book, yeah. you know, like, like, or it's derivative of mm-hmm. the bird book like that, or not the bird book, of bird, you know, like it's all derivative of his language. So if you need to be in that space where you're really reading like complicated rhythms and, and interesting uh, melodic stuff, like his book is it's great for mm-hmm. that book is great for that so you can just put it on just sight read and then do what you need to do and then um the other thing is just being having so much experience doing it mm-hmm. you know i've had to sight read 
in every situation you could possibly imagine, you know, like low stakes, high stakes, uh, you know, um, it just kind of comes with the territory and, you know, and after 20 years, I've messed up quite a bit, mm -hmm. quite a, quite a mm -hmm. bit of times. And some of my stuff has not made some records, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, we're not going to need that take, uh, you know, so it's just, again, uh, it's it's yeah, I've been doing this so long is that it, it it's kind of just second nature at this point and also my early training was in reading as well mm -hmm. like part of the the band that I came out of in high school that was like you had to be able to sight read like that was one of the prerequisites like mm -hmm. every semester they would put you in a room and sight and you'd have to be able to sight read and if you couldn't then somebody else got your spot mm -hmm. you know that was just because we were reading like 300 charts a year and that was that's what his whole this was when I was in high school. His whole, um, his name was Tony Biancasino, great, great teacher. His whole philosophy was you got to be able to sight read. That was the number one priority for anybody that was in his band. So that obviously had a huge, you know, effect on how I had to develop in order to be able to even be in the game to begin with. You know, yeah. I didn't come, it would, I didn't come from a place where I was just playing from ear first. Yeah. It was, re it was reading and then all the other kind of stuff came yeah. after. So, yeah, you know, I feel like there, there's like a lot of of younger players that I know of that come up through a system of it's not even hearing first, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of um, theory first. Okay, yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, yeah like yeah. this chord, this scale. Okay, do it, and like yeah. it's it's very like kind of mathematical. Yeah, and then. Hopefully the things come, yeah. the connections come later. Yeah, I just see that a, a, a lot as like a, like a like a stumbling block for a lot of mm -hmm. of younger players. So, thank you for uh, your input on yeah, that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. I mean, the other thing that's great about like playing an etude or something like that too, mm -hmm. like because if you get the mathematical equation, you're not really hearing the context. Yeah. So you know, and like you know, maybe you're transcribing. But that's basically what you're doing. You're reading an etude or reading some, you know. What I mean, not 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 transcribing, but you're still getting the information. You're just getting it in a different way, mm -hmm. you know. And um, and I think the context of like playing through like a, like a Bach etude or something, where you're hearing, oh, he's on a minor, he's in a minor, and he's going to the the dominant here, and now we're doing, now we're sidestepping into another key, you know. In, and you're you're figuring all that out technically on your instrument as well. So mm -hmm. once you start to see those connections, it translates into being able to improvise in that way as well. If you're if you're also training yourself to improvise, so that's the thing, you know. So those things are not those things are very closely related, you know. For especially like because I'm because my probably my favorite trumpet player of all time is Clifford Brown, mm -hmm. right? And like he completely comes out of the school of he was trained classically, like mm -hmm. completely classically, and all that stuff you hear him play. And I don't want to say completely classically because he was also getting in, you know, he was also studying with um, with somebody who was like really kind of teaching him how to hear the stuff. And that, along with the orchestral training, is really where his language comes from. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, you know, same for Dizzy and Bird and Miles, you know, like they, that was always part of it. Like if you go back and look at the founders of the music, they weren't just not playing classical music too. They were all playing classical music. That was kind of part of just training on an instrument, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think it's lost anymore. I just think you just can't forget that that's something you kind of need to do in order to yeah. kind of maintain, you know? Yeah. yeah. So what's next? What do you got coming up? Um, 
what's, yeah. What's what's your next your next move that we should all know about? Yeah. So the I guess the the, the next few big things is Captain Black Big Band is mm-hmm. playing the Pittsburgh Jazz Festival, so we'll be doing that. I'm not sure of the date, <laughs> <laughs> but if you know when the Pittsburgh Jazz Festival is, it'll be then. Um, so we're doing that, and I'm going to San Francisco in the summer for a week. And uh, the big thing is in September, mm-hmm. I'm doing. Uh, I got a commission from Dave Douglas and his Festival of New Trumpet Music, the Font Festival, and uh, it was for me to write music for a new a, a new version of Fresh Cut Orchestra. Um, yeah, we've it, this has been the year of different versions of Fresh Cut. <laughs> we just did this other project with a kind of, kind of a different lineup than the original. But this project will be um, at Busy's on September 10th and September 11th in New York. And it, the rhythm section will be Jason Fraticelli, Anwar Marshall, um, and Brian Marcel on piano. And we're going to have an all-Philly trumpet lineup mm. that I'm writing all new music for in the front. So it'll be me on trumpet, uh, Dwayne Eubanks, Leon Jordan Jr., Terrell Stafford, and Arnetta Johnson mm. on trumpet. Mm-hmm. So we have five amazing trumpet players, and yeah, that's that'll be two nights there, and that'll be yeah, that's the next big thing. Other than that, the videos will be coming out this summer for the Lost Works. So yes. We'll probably be doing we're going to be doing a show up in New York for that, and there'll be some other things that pop up. But all that's always available on the website. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, where can where can people find you? <laughs> <laughs> JoshLawrenceJazz.com is the best place. Um, I put everything up there on the blog, mm-hmm. and the, all the dates are there, and all the links to the music. Um, as far as social media con- is concerned, I do not have Facebook on my phone, so don't call me for a gig <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> um, I'm slowly pulling myself out of the out of the, out of the Facebook feed, but I yeah. am on Instagram. I have a Facebook band page. I always post stuff there. Um, Instagram is always great. I'm always put, posting photos on there. My wife is a great photographer, and I've been getting better just being around her. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of, of stuff on there, and I'm, I'm in touch with a lot of people on there. And pretty much the day-to-day of gigs and you know where I'm going on the road or last-minute updates, a lot of that is on Instagram. Um, I also like Twitter. I just yeah. It's... It's easy, and I can mm-hmm. stay in touch with a lot of people on there too. So either of those are cool. Um, but the best place to find out where I'm going to be or where the band's playing, more mm-hmm. importantly, is on the website and sign up for the email list. When new music comes out, you'll hear about it. When there's new stuff up on the blog, you'll hear about it. Yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks for stopping by, and we've been talking about doing this for a while. Yeah, uh, this was super fun, man. Can't wait till the next one. Thanks again for listening, everybody. For me, this series is a labor of love. My goal is to help document the making of jazz history in this moment. If you have any suggestions about who you would like to hear on this show, drop me a line. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon.